Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Amen. Great job, worship team, band. So awesome. Great having you guys with us today here at City of Life. God is on the move. If you believe it, say amen. He's constantly doing something new, something fresh. Every day is a brand new day. Every morning, his mercies are new. I believe the best is in front of you. Look at somebody next to you. Say, I don't think your best is behind you. Come on, tell them. Say, I don't think your best is behind you. Look at the person on the other side. Say, you too. Come on, if you're watching online, type it in the chat. Say, I believe the best is in front of you. I'm excited by this past uh, week weekend that we just came out of on Monday, as a matter of fact, kind of a long weekend, because we just finished up Blink, and next week at Heart for the House, we're going to really talk about some of the things that God did during Blink. It was pretty extraordinary. In the history of Blink since 1998, we've done all kinds of uh, versions of the show, but never, ever, ever, ever have we had a show that sold out every single seat for every performance, and we did this time. Every single seat for every performance was sold out. Record numbers in every single category. I don't want to get into all the numbers today. We'll do that next week. Next week's is Heart for the House. Uh, that word that you need to think of when you think of Heart for the House is unmissable. Just because of what God is gonna do the, through the faithfulness of people, I believe that we saw more miracles last week in people's families, testimonies, incredible things that God did in people's lives at Heart for the House than any week I can think of. It's gonna happen next week as well. But there's one number that I will share today just because it cannot be ignored. Uh, it's, we saw 2,892 people make commitments to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior uh, throughout the course of this blink alone. Come on, let's give God a great shout. That's his goodness, his faithfulness. I'm the kind of guy that I believe, I don't care where you put me, put me in any city in the world. I don't care where I am, I mean that. Put me in there, I can, I can give me no money, don't know nobody. Give me and one person, and I think that I, I can turn that city upside down with one person. I believe it. I, I believe that God is faithful enough to cause revival to happen with just one or two people that believe God is big enough. Something will get started. No, I believe no matter where I am, God goes with me. Just give me one person that can help me, and we can do something. We can turn stuff upside down together. But what could God do with 2,892 people? I believe revival is in our city right now. I don't think it's coming. I think it's here right now. So today, I want to preach the rest of this message that's called What Happens Before revival in a little bit of a different way because I'm going to tell you this right now. That number, right about 3,000. I wish we could have seen 108 more people because we could have said 3,000, but I love 2,892. I think it's a wonderful number, but it's about 3,000. And here's how significant that is to let you know that we're in the middle of revival is in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached to all the people that were watching those that got filled with the Holy Spirit a revival broke out, and they saw unprecedented numbers of people added to the early church, huge numbers, thousands of people. Do you know how many people it was that Peter preached to that came to Jesus that day? 3,000. So that was a legendary type of move of God to see that many people commit to Jesus. That's what we just saw here in our church over a, a one and a half week period of showing this particular uh, show blink that we strategized for on ways to reach people with the gospel in a fresh new way. 
So this, the rest of this message called What Happens Before Revival, I'm not preaching it as revival is coming someday. I'm saying revival is here now. There's some people that need to learn how to recognize it when it's around you. And I wanna be one of those people that recognizes it. So I'm gonna pray for this message. I'm gonna jump right in, do a quick recap over what we've done and get to the rest of it. And I think that God is gonna do something special. And by the way, as I'm preaching this today, I am talking about revival in our church. I am talking about revival at City of Life in St. Cloud, Kissimmee, Central Florida. But I'm also talking about revival in your personal life. Look at somebody next to you and say, you might need a revival. So I'm talking about all these little areas you can apply in a macro way uh, to the church, to our community, but in a micro way you can apply them to areas of your life, things that you need to do symbolically in your life to see revival break out in your world. So Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your faithfulness. I pray for everyone watching online, everyone watching the podcast, Lord, everyone that comes encounter, that encounters this moment, let them experience the power of the Holy Spirit in a fresh new way. I pray that chains are broken. We thank you for your purpose. It cannot be stopped, God. I pray people would be filled with hope and encouragement today to reach for the best in their life. Lord, continue to let destiny and revival unfold in everything we do. Let these words come to life because of the power of the Holy Spirit today. Let your word just jump off the pages, Lord, and, and bring hope and encouragement to people's heart and healing to people that are bound and broken and need a, a miracle today. Let it happen today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Judges chapter six and seven is this story of this wimpy guy named Gideon who's not tall, uh, he's not tough. As a matter of fact, if you took the least family uh, in, in the entire country and you took the least person out of the least family, that's how he describes himself. So he's not a tough guy. He, God chooses the lowest of the low in this particular situation because Israel is being punished by its opponents who has got into humiliating them. They're burning their crops. The land that belongs to Israel, they're taking and stealing their stuff, but they're too big and tough for Israel to fight back against. So they're being bullied. They're essentially living in a space where God has promised them everything that they have, and they have, a, they have a right to it, but someone else is using and dominating all of their gifts. So it's not simply just a bunch of mean people. Israel has gotten away from worshiping God the way they should. So therefore, the consequences of their actions have unfolded with them now having these oppressors all around them. So what does God do? He calls this guy named Gideon, who happens to be hiding uh, in, a, in a wine press, threshing wheat. And I did some various points. I'm not gonna go back over them all. If you wanna see them, you can look at uh, what happens before revival that I taught last week. I think I taught it a month ago in our uh, homecoming revival series. That's the rest of my notes. But I'm gonna finish this today. I, I'm not gonna stretch it out over 10 weeks <laughs> uh, like I thought. Uh, but I talked about prior to this, there's prayer before revival because in Judges 6, it said Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and they cried out to the Lord. So that's a key for you. Uh, if you're going through a difficulty, you need revival, cry out to God. Uh, number two, there's a prophet before revival. Lately here in our church, talking about blink and talking about the future of what God is doing here. Some prophetic words have come forward that we're gonna see a move of God. We're gonna see thousands come to the Lord. We're gonna see revival in our youth. Last year, in 2022, on a Wednesday night, God spoke through my son Jude prophetically. He came up and grabbed the mic. His hand was shaking, and he was, his voice was trembling. He'd never said something like this. He said, but in 2022, God is sending revival to our youth, and we're gonna see a mass revival of youth. Right now, our, our youth is busting at the seams. Over 100 kids every week on Wednesday nights, and for the longest time, we're around 30 kids. 
But right now, about 150 came last week, and God is moving, and we're seeing them just explode on every level. During Blink, I saw thousands of young people down here, thousands. I mean, I would say that 90% of the people that got saved at Blink were teenagers and young people. So we're physically seeing uh, with our own eyes the results of prophetic words that have come forward. So prophecy and prophets come before revival. Uh, Then the next thing in this story that comes, if I can find it, it's here. That's a lot of notes. That's a lot of notes. Okay, promise comes before revival. And uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 16, God says to Gideon, surely I will be with thee and you will smite down the Midianites as one man. I love the fact that when God sends us to do a big task, he encourages us and lets us know that he will be with us. Do something real quick and look at the person next to you and say, I got to tell you something just real honestly. God is with you and you shouldn't be afraid. Tell them. Say, I got to tell you something honestly. God is with you and you shouldn't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God is with you. He's on your side. Say, if God is for me, come on, say, if God is for me, who can be against me? Come on, look at, some, look at the person you've been ignoring on the other side. Say, if God is for me, who can be against me? Now just yell at him right in the face. Ah, get fired up today. Come on, I want to I go hit somebody right now, like football practice. If God is for me, who can be against me? Somebody scream. Ah, hey, he's for me. If he's really for me, anybody want to come hit me real quick? I'm gonna, I just want to hit somebody. No, I'm good. I'm, maybe if you used to play football, it's chest bump or something. No, we're good. I got to calm down. I'm fired up right now. Because if God is really for me, if God is really for me, if we really believe that, and he's got our back, and he's sent us on this mission, he's saying, don't be afraid when you go face opposition. Don't be afraid when people start trying to steal your stuff. Don't be afraid when people start lying about you. Don't be afraid when people form little groups and coups and committees against you. I got you. That's what God is saying to us today. He's saying, I got you. And God is sending us on a mission to take territory that belongs to the devil. And if you think that the devil is okay with just letting us increase in our life, you're wrong. He wants to push back, but the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. It scares him when somebody says no. And says no again. Why? Because he is used to influencing people that say, okay. But when someone steps up and says, no. And, and, then, and he says, well, let me try again. Absolutely not. And there comes a point where when you resist, he flees. We've got to get militant about our faith against the devil. Amen? There's promise before revival. God tells us that I've got your back. And last week I talked about there's pull down before revival, we pull down and tear down altars to false gods. Israel was worshiping Baal, and Israel was worshiping Asherah in their community, and Baal is just kind of a generic Hebrew word for Lord, and Baal in in the Old Testament was the son of El, who was kind of the false Yahweh. So when we think of El Shaddai, El was the false Yahweh, and Baal was kind of the false Christ, the Antichrist of the Old Testament. And Baal, uh, the the female version, was Asherah, 
And so when they would worship Baal and Asherah, there was a lot of sexual rituals, including prostitution, all these different sex acts that you did. So if you're worshiping Baal, you're getting to do all these perverted things. And that's one of the reasons that Israel worshiped them. And what's interesting is if you look at archaeology and you find some of the statues, some of the statues would say to Yahweh and to Baal. So what happens is people were trying, they were having the... Uh, they were having these two dualistic trains of thought going on at the same time. And I think what we find out of that in this story is God is saying, if you're, at, if you're crying out to me for revival, you gotta get your own house in order first. Before I'm willing to move in your land and give you the revival you're searching for, you can't have two things going on at the same time. The Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You can't have two trains of thought going on at the same time. So I talked about that last week. I would go back and look at that. I talked about syncretism last week. Finally, here we are. And today I'm gonna finish the rest of this. Number five, there's proving before revival. And what I love about this is God doesn't only just promise to us, but he will prove. Uh, and right after all this stuff is coming out, you know, Gideon goes and tears down those altars. Everyone wants to kill him in, in Israel because, man, they don't wanna give up their, their idol worship because it's too fun. They love it too much. So they get ticked off at him because he's challenging their dualistic thinking. And he's, he, whoa, I just hit myself in the eye. He's uh, it's like so violent. I was trying to get violent. Now I'm hurting myself. I got to just be careful here. So he's, he's, he's drawing a line in the sand saying, no more. I won't do this any longer. And now it comes a time where it says in Judges chapter six, all the Midianites, their enemies, Amalekites and other Eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the land of Jezreel. When I hear people teach this, I don't really hear them talk about that particular verse very much, that all of the enemies come down and camp out in their front yard. So the battle is, a, is imminent. It's going down. It is, it is crunch time. Israel has got a battle to fight now, and there's, it's not going away. And I love this. In verse 34, it says, then the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. I did a word study of this in Hebrew, and it actually means that he put him on like clothes. It's a strange word picture, but he actually possessed Gideon, meaning like a possession. But the, the word picture is that he wore Gideon like clothes. The spirit of the Lord went into Gideon in this moment and like inspired him. It says, and he blew a trumpet summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers through Manasseh calling them to arms and also into Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet him. So this nobody that all he's ever done is tear down some altars. Now all of Israel is looking at him as this leader. He blows a trumpet. He kind of is this new God-appointed leader that everyone is about to rally behind. This boldness comes upon him. It's a very bold outward thing. But then he goes home and he goes, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, God has already given him a sign. When the angel came, the angel touched the, the sacrifice that he brought with his staff. Fire came out of it. The angel disappeared. There's been all kinds of signs and wonders that have shown Gideon that God is on his side, but he needs one more promise, one more, <laughs> he needs one more proof or proving before it goes down. He says, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, I will take this sweater. Let's, let's imagine my sweater. I will take this wool sweater and I'm gonna put it on the threshing floor. And in the morning, in central Florida, where the humidity is 110,000% every day, and there's just water all over every grass, everything is wet in the morning, every morning in Florida. With all the dew that is out in the morning, I'm going to put this out in the front yard, 
And in the morning, if there is no dew on the ground, that would be a miracle, right? In central Florida, if there's no dew on the ground, but only the sweater is, has water in it. Only the sweater, no dew anywhere. It's only on the sweater. That's gonna mean that you're on my side and I'm gonna win. So Gideon tests God. He says, if you really want me to follow through, if you want me to fight, if you want me to lead, I just need a little encouragement. So you know what happens? He puts the, the wool out there, the wool fleece, he puts it out there, and the next morning, there is no dew on the grass at all, none. It's all in the sweater, just like he said. What did Gideon do? Did he praise the Lord and say, thank you, God, you're on my side? He goes, okay, tomorrow morning, I'm gonna put the sweater out. I mean, he just needs a little extra. And he goes, and if, if tomorrow morning, all the ground is completely wet, but the sweater is completely dry. That's gonna mean that you're on my side. So what happens? He does the same exact thing, and that's exactly what happens. The ground is completely wet. The, the, the wool fleece is completely dry. And I think probably at the end of the day, he probably did about 10 more things. He's like, okay, if I make this basket with my eyes closed, you're on my side. And we kind of keep going through these things. But here's what I love about God is he's willing to take our faith wherever it is. He's willing to meet us at the point of our faith. And he uses this kind of fearful kind of guy. But he gives us that confidence. And, you know, Paul says in 2 Timothy, he says, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He basically says, I know that God is on my side. I know what he's called me to do. And I'm just going to go do it no matter what happens. We need assurance. Moses is like, but God, how do I know you're on my side? How do I know that you're going to help me lead? Give me a sign that you're going to help me lead, you know, Israel out of Egypt. And God's like, I'm speaking to you right now through a burning bush. He's like, can I have something else? Like, it's like. How often does that happen to you that that's like common and you need another sign? It's a bush that's talking to you. He's like, all right. He's like, throw down the staff in your hand. He's like, I got something for you. He's like, the staff right here? Throw it down. He's like, just throw it down. He throws it down and it turns into a snake. Now, you know what Moses does? He runs. It says, and Moses ran. I am Moses in this situation, by the way. If something turns into a snake, I'm gonna be running. But Moses, he runs away, but God gives him another sign. Here's another sign of a great person that God uses to do great things, legendary things that struggle with their belief. But God still gives us signs. By the way, God's giving you signs all around you. Are you paying attention? Are you paying attention to the confirmation that he is giving you? Or are you constantly looking for negative things? I believe that there are people in life that refuse to see any good thing. They refuse to hold on, and I think confirmation bias is a real thing. I, I believe that sometimes we make up our mind that something good is gonna happen or bad is gonna happen, and we just reject anything that doesn't fit that narrative. If you're a person that believes something bad is gonna happen to you, you will ignore all the good things that happen to you and only hold on to the bad things. So I think today it's important as people of God to know that God is on our side and to hold on to the things, to hold on to the things that he does for us, that encourages us and lifts us up and to push away the things that don't belong in our life. Can I get an amen from someone here today? So I think this is a big deal. I, I, I love that God is willing to give us additional proof. So there's proving uh, before revival. Ooh, here's a hard one. Number six, there's parting before revival, parting. P-A-R-T-I-N-G. Here we go. Judges chapter seven. So finally, Gideon's about to throw down with these dudes. 
And it says, the Lord said to Gideon, here's, here's what we love to hear. You have too many men. This is exactly what you want to hear before you're leading an army in, in battle to the death. God says, you have too many men. So, so we start understanding a little bit about what God is trying to do through Gideon for Israel. He's trying to let them know, you have started worshiping other gods. You have turned to false things. You better put your faith back in me. Because it is only through me and my power that you can be saved. It's not through yours. So I'm not going to let you get so many men that you go into battle and say, oh, look at what these superior warriors we are. We outsmarted them. We outnumbered them. Our fighting strategies are far better. No. God said to Gideon, you've got too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or you would boast against me. Israel would saying my own strength has saved me. He says now announce to the army anybody who trembles with fear. Now, by the way, there are 32,000 men that are there ready to fight. And God says, say to your army, the 32,000 men. Remember, remember in Braveheart? Remember when William Wallace is riding and he's, he's giving that speech before Braveheart? He's on, 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 his, on his horse going back. Imagine this speech. So Gideon is 32,000 people. He goes, anyone who trembles with fear can go back and leave Mount Gilead. And I mean, he's probably got some idea in his mind, like 10 guys are going to leave. Like he's, he's like figured this out. Is he, God said, we got too many men. There might be 10 guys here with a bad attitude, maybe a hundred. That's, and that's fine. We, you know, we'll fight the battle. All of a sudden, 22,000 of the 30 leave. And Gideon's like, oh, shoot. He's standing there now. He don't know what to do. <clears throat> he's like, okay, well, he's thinking, I still got 10,000 left. And, and what does the Lord say? Does the Lord say, good job, Gideon. You can do it with 10. I know there's tens of thousands of the enemy out there, but you can do it with 10. Does the Lord say, I'm gonna work with that 10? The Lord says, still too many men. He says, take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. And if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon takes these men, the 10,000, there the Lord told them, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let the others go home. So literally he has people kneel down and start lopping from their hands and drinking and kneeling and seeing who's sophisticated and not. And God says, I want to take the ones that drink like dogs. Look at someone next. You say, God's looking for some dogs today. God looking for some crazy jokers that lap like dogs today. He said, and you know how many was left? 300 of them laughed, lapped, laughed, lapped like dogs. 300 out of the 10,000. He had to send all the rest away out of out of 32,000 people that were there, he was left with 300. I would venture to say that the movie 300 should have been made about these jokers right here because that's hot right there because this is a true story. So God narrows it down. So what, what's happening is we're seeing then less than 1% or around, one, yeah, less than 1% of the total group that was there ended up being able to go with getting to the end. And I got news for you. Where God is taking you, everyone that has come with you this far in your life is not going to be able to go with you where God's taking you. There might come a season of parting in your life where people's values, 
their culture, what they treasure, what they allow in their life. Maybe it got you to this point. Maybe God needed them in your life to get you there, and they needed you to get where they are, but you're going in separate directions. There's a parting that takes place when you go higher. And sometimes those people are not beneficial to you. Sometimes they're too negative. Sometimes they just have a bad spirit. You know, there's something in mountain climbing called the snake line. And the snake line is a certain elevation where no snakes, there are very poisonous snakes that can live at high altitudes, but there's a certain line where snakes simply cannot breathe and live and, and function and operate any longer. It's too high. And once mountain climbers get above that line, they never have to worry about snakes again. The snakes can't go where you're going. Once you get to a certain place, some of those things are going to start falling off of your life. And revival comes when there's a purging among God's people. Doubters, faithless people with no vision have to resign to let people who want to obey God take the lead. Sin must be challenged. Ananias and Sapphira, that spirit that they had in the middle of the early church when they were trying to hold back a portion of the money and pretend that they did this and pretend that they did that, but they were lying in their spirit. God called it out, and those people suffered a consequence and died for it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. When you're making bread and you put leaven in it, it's the thing that makes it puff up, like pride. So if you have people in your life that are prideful, that it's all about me, it's about what I accomplish, it's my idea, it's my this, my that. If it's all about pride, what this is saying in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, get out the old puffed up attitude that you may be a new lump. It says you are unleavened. What that's saying is that in Christ, the kind of bread that you have become is not like the old bread. It might be fluffy and it might be advertising, but... Uh, uh, appetizing, but you are unleavened. There is no pride in you. There is no pride in the body of Christ. People with no honor are going to have to go. In your life, if you're ever going to get to true revival in your life, people that live without honor have to go. People with a divisive spirit have to go. People with an agenda have to go. People with a religious elitist mentality have to go. Because where God is taking you, where God is taking us, we cannot handle people being around with that kind of attitude. And here's how you can know who they are and what their mentality is. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 through 24 says, but we preach Christ crucified. When you truly keep it on Christ and the message of Christ and the message of the gospel and you start preaching the unabridged truth, there's gonna be three responses. It says, to the Jews... It is a stumbling block. And the word that is used there for stumbling block is the Greek word scandalon. It says to the Greek, and scandalon means offense. It's where we get the word scandalous. So it's saying that when you start preaching the gospel of Christ, it's going to offend people. And do you know who it generally offends is religious people. And do you know why it offends them? Because the actual message of Christ is you don't bring anything to the table. He did it already. He did it for you. You have nothing to offer God. He loved you in spite of you. While we were yet sins, while we we're yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Religious people can't handle that because they want to say, but I have been to church every week. I spend four hours a day worshiping. I have led this. It's all me, 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 me. And the gospel is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Yeah, yeah, there we go. So it's offensive. 
When you start preaching and doing the things that God has called you to do that are truly gospel-centric, that's when the religious spirit starts puffing up all over the place. That's when you start hearing, oh, people start, oh, but Halloween, and Halloween, and, and Santa is the letter Satan. It's an anagram of Satan and, and the Illuminati. And it's just like, man, they just cannot stop talking about all this religious trash. Everyone is so stirred up and focused on the, can I tell you something? If you took one-tenth of the time that you spend on the Illuminati and you put it into leading people to Christ, we'd see revival in every city in America. If you took one-tenth of the time that you spend on meaningless things, is anyone here today? Is this the right crowd? Did I get the first Baptist crowd down the street? Or is this City of Life Church? Because I think it's the right church. There we go. Might have some Illuminati fans in the house today. We're going to have to figure out a way to flush y'all out. You know, Gehazi, if, if you don't think I'm telling the truth here, Elisha got to get the wrong people out. Gehazi was Elisha's servant, and he helped Elisha, the, a great man of God. And Naaman came with leprosy. He was, he was a, a, a military leader. He comes to Elijah. He's not even a believer, but someone sends him his way, and Elisha says to him, dip seven times in the water. And he goes, I'm not doing that. And someone says, hey, you know, just do it, man. If he would have told you, you know, to do a round-off back handspring, you would have done it. Or if he told you to chop someone's head off, you would have done it. But now he's telling you, dip in the water, you don't want to do it. Just do it, man. What do you got to lose? So he does it, and he gets healed. So he, this, this military guy goes to Elijah. He says, hey, man, can I give you some money? Can I pay you for this? This is crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm completely healed. And Elijah's like, no, man, it ain't about that. He's like, you go and just be in peace. Well, Gehazi, Elisha's assistant, so somebody who's been rocking with a man of God who is like on his team, goes and follows this guy named, and he goes, oh yeah, by the way, when you left, we found out we need something, and we do need some money, and we need some clothes, and, and, and Naaman's like, oh, no problem. How much do you need? And he tells me, he's like, I'll give you double that. He's like, oh, okay. You know, so like he, he's just lying. And so he goes back to Elisha, and hides the money, hides the clothes, hides all the stuff. And Elisha just knows by the spirit. He could see him in his spirit. Say, hey, yo, yo, I saw you, man. I saw you when you went back and you lied. And just so you know, the leprosy that was on him is going to come on you and your family for the rest of your life. So look what happens when you get the wrong people in your life that God does not take them out of your life. So there is a parting that comes, and it's actually a good thing. If your whole life and your whole world is how great the old state that you lived in was and the great, the old job you were and that you, the great, your old church and your old pastor and your old prayer team. Go back. Stop spending your life wasting your time on what was so great about your past. Get around people that are excited about the future and what God is doing now and where God is taking you now. The future is too great to worry about what is over and what's done with. And here's the next thing is when the parting happens to... to, to kind of ease it a little bit. There are partners that come before revival. I love this. In Judges chapter 7, verse 10, right as, as Gideon is getting real nervous, God hooks him up with a buddy of his, a friend of his. He says, go with Pura, thy servant, down to the host. So what he's saying is they're camped out down there. They're trying to attack you. I want you to take your boy. Anybody got someone in your life, at least one person that you know is your friend? Raise your hand if you got a good friend in your life. It's saying, whoever that is, you may not have a lot of them. If you know you got a good friend, it's saying, take your boy. 
Pura, that's your boy. You, you know there ain't nobody going to mess with his brain. You can trust him. And, and just the two of you, if you need to get built up, I love that. I love knowing that I got my wife, Amy. She's there for me. I love knowing that if I call my dad, if I said, Dad, meet me in the parking lot. It's about to go down with some dudes right now. He wouldn't ask me what's going on. He'd just show up. He said, what parking lot? Where are you? I'll be there in five minutes. He'd come, he'd come with me. We're going we to take him down. I mean, that's the way it works. When you got some people in your life, you, look at someone next to you and say, you need a Pura in your life. You need a Pura in your life, but don't ask no questions at the beginning. It's like, where are you? I'll be there right now. That's exactly what Pura is. And there's some partnering that takes place right before revival. And he says, get with Pura and go down to the host. He says, and if you're afraid to tag, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. And afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. And they snuck down together right outside the tents of these tens of thousands of enemies. And they put their ear up to the tent. And he's like, okay, here we are. What are we going to do? And God says, just listen. And they're talking in the tent. They said, the Lord, I had a dream, and I saw Gideon, that mighty man of valor, Gideon, that we're, that we're trying to attack, and he was destroying us. He was taking us out left to right. I'm so scared. What are we getting? And Gideon's like, oh, pure, give me, hit me right Oh, This is hot right here. They're afraid. They're scared. And so they go back to the camp. They're all excited. They're building each other. There's some partnering going on there. See, I love the fact that we get, we get partners in revival. We get people, as many people that are against it, God will send some people that part. We can't do it alone. He's going to send some people that we partner with. And then finally, we get, I mean, even Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, if one prevails against him, two shall withstand him, and a three-four cord is not quickly broken. So we need some partners. And Pura, by the way, in Hebrew means one who bears fruit. So you need some friends that bear fruit, not just that have been faithful in your life, but that bear fruit in your life. And then finally, and I'm closing this out. I'm a little bit over, and I'm sorry, but the Cowboys don't play today, so I'm going to go a little bit extra. But Florida State sure did play Miami last night. Okay, here we go. Pattern before we're about Judges chapter 7, it says, and he said unto them, oh, I love this. So finally, when the battle's about to go down, the enemy's camp is down there, around there. He's only got 300 men. Tens of thousands down in the middle of the enemy. Only 300 men. And look what he says. Here's the pattern before revival. He says, look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. Don't be afraid to look to leaders to emulate. Don't be afraid to look to spiritual leaders that God has put in your life to emulate. Why? 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. We need leaders that are in front, that are speaking the truth, that are speaking God's word, that are boldly proclaiming, and we need to unify together so that everyone doesn't have this individual plan and say, well, I listen to this podcast on Monday. I listen to this one on Tuesday, and sometimes I go to this prayer meeting. Sometimes. No, we need to get unity and get rid of division and divisiveness in the body of Christ. Revival comes when people have a single vision. Can I get an Amen. Division runs off to do its own thing outside of God's will. Dual vision does religious things out of the will of God, but sometimes decides to stay with you, but yet act independently. See, that's dual vision. That's people that stay with you. They might worship with you and be around for all the things they like, the highlights, but they got a different vision in their heart. You need to be cautious of those people. Actually, don't even be cautious with them. Just don't keep them in your life. It's just not a... It's, it's, it's fundamental to your future that they do something else, go somewhere else. That's what they need to do. As a matter of fact, we saw divisionists when Moses was up on the mountain spending time with God. Aaron, his older brother, who was supposed to be mature in the faith, he was down at the camp 
and the Israelites are like, yo, we need something to worship. Build us a, an idol. And Aaron's like, yo, that's not cool. They're like, build us an idol now. He's like, okay. So he builds him a calf, a golden calf. That's whack. I mean, it's messed up. And Moses gets back in camp and calls his brother out and challenges his brother and says, look, <laughs> whoever is on the Lord's side, you better come over here with me right now because we're going to kill some people. And, and all the people that were excited about God came over with him and some of the other people went on the other side. So you got to make sure that you're looking at the right leaders during revival. This is what, the way the story closes, Judges chapter seven, it says, now the camp of Midian lay below in the valley during the night. The Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down to the camp. I'm gonna give it into your hands. I love, I love that. And it says uh, down in verse, let's see, uh, verse 16, it says, dividing the 300 men into three companies, so a, a hundred each, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he said, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of camp, do exactly like I do. That's, that's really important. As a leader, he's saying, do as I do. So we need to have leaders in our life that we can look at and we can emulate. We can say, that's godliness. That's, what, that's, what, that's why God has put that person in my life. Don't be afraid to feel that way. Don't be afraid to do that. That's, what, that's biblical. He says, watch me. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do as, as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. I think he probably added that last part, if I'm being honest. That's for the Lord and for Gideon. And it says, Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. So imagine this. Imagine like up on the mountainside, you're down in the valley, you see these hundreds of torches and you hear, for the Lord and for Gideon, ah! and you're already kind of freaked out. That's exactly what happens. And it says, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. We've never even seen anything like this in Lord of the Rings or a movie. They get so freaked out and scared, they draw swords and start killing each other, thinking they're attacking one another. How many people know God can win a battle when you don't even have to shoot a bullet? You don't even have to pull your sword out. He'll make the enemy turn on himself. If you're faithful to what God has told you to do, he'll find a way to make it happen. Oh man, I love, I love the story. You know, it's interesting, and I'll someday maybe do a follow-up on this. The story of Gideon ends sadly. He actually takes the power, takes the influence, and really does all this jacked up stuff with it. Starts flexing a lot, you know, making some poor decisions, but the story starts out really sweet. It starts out as a story of a guy who has nothing, who is nothing, that God says, hey, I'll help you if you let me. And that's the part of the story that I wanna focus on. I wanna focus on the part where God will help my heart if I'm willing to let him use my weaknesses, not my strengths. That's, that's kind of boring for God to use my strengths. I want God to use my weaknesses. I want to be available and give him all the things I'm not good at so he can shine through those weaknesses. And that's what I'm asking you to do in your life is to judge your own life. Judge your own camp. What kind of idols do you have in your camp? You know, have, have you been seeking God? Have you been calling on the name of the Lord? Have you been parting ways with people that don't belong in your life? Have you been partnering with the right spirits in your life? Have you been doing the things? Have you been looking for the pattern? Have you been looking for godly leaders that are demonstrating the pattern? Say, okay, I need to get in line with that. I need to follow that. Or are you just randomly going through life, hoping one day that you just open your mailbox and there's a check for $10 million. Is that your strategy? 
or hoping you're gonna win the lottery or something, because that's, that's not a spiritual strategy. We don't wanna live with that lottery mentality. We wanna, we wanna pray for revival, we wanna believe for revival and take steps to move toward revival in every area of our life. Somebody say amen today. Amen. Well, why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm believing that God is gonna do some incredible things to those that are watching online, those that are in the room today. If you don't know the Lord, you don't know Jesus, but you should, you need to, and you know it today. If that's you, tired of living your life without God, tired of living your life without purpose, tired of living with an unsurrendered heart, God doesn't ask you for a part of it. He asks you for all of it. David, as a matter of fact, when he was struggling with his own heart, he didn't say, clean my heart. He said, create in me a clean heart. He knew that his old one wouldn't work any longer. He needed a brand new one. That's what you need today, is a new heart. You say, that's me. I need a new heart today. I need Jesus to truly become the Lord and Savior of my life. No one's looking around. If that's you, would you just lift your hand quickly right now? No one's looking around, just over your head. Yeah, hands going up right now, all over the room. Just quickly lift your hand, you can put it down. I see your hand, I see your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else today say, I need Jesus to become the Lord of my life, I need a new heart. If that's you online, would you type in the chat, I'm lifting my hand, or just type, I need Jesus today. The Lord sees you. I'm just gonna ask you to repeat this prayer after me, out loud and mean it from your heart. Say, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I'm walking away from my old life. I'm asking for a new heart. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again so I could have eternal life. I want revival in my life, Lord. So I'm tearing down the idols. I'm tearing down the dualistic way of living my life. I'm focusing on you, focusing on Jesus. Help me walk out my faith with courage, with passion, to live for you in a way that honors you and leads me to my destiny. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.